better than this guys being dudes here on the draft dudes podcast presented by locked on it's joe marino and kyle Krabs from the draft network and we are your hosts here on this thursday edition of the show uh we call ourselves the draft dudes podcast because we love the nfl draft and today we're gonna start talking about some of these uh 2020 prospects kyle welcome this feels like my dwayne the rock johnson moment here Finally, (laughs) the draft dudes will talk about the NFL draft. I'm fired up. I love good prospect talk, man. Yeah, we got good prospects to talk about today. Yeet. Yes, we do. We have Auburn's Derek Brown and Colorado wide receiver LaVisca Chenault are the topics of conversation for us today, Joe. Let's start with Derek Brown. Yeah, tell me the first thing you think about when you hear the name Derek Brown. Well, it breaks my heart because he apparently is no longer on the Senior Bowl list of participating players. Do you blame him? No, I don't blame him, but I'm still heartbroken that I won't get to see him perform in a live setting. You can understand that from a selfish perspective. I yeah. want yeah. you know, but do I blame him? No, absolutely not. Because Derek Brown, Derek Brown, like low key i it won't happen in new york because gettleman's already hit like four <laughs> picks and defensive tackles you know what i mean but Knock it's like wood, brother he, he's a really <laughs> he's a realistic option at 3 to detroit yeah for sure and he's a, he's a realistic option at 5 to miami yeah i feel like they'd be so, perfect for them yeah, so uh, he's scheme diverse. He's a unicorn as far as the explosiveness and quickness that he has for his size. Uh, Joe, I cannot remember the last time I've seen a 315, 320-pound man who's a defensive tackle line up outside alignment as an outside pass rusher and snatch an offensive tackle and take the edge that way. It's spectacular. To, to put it bluntly, Derek Brown kicks ass for four quarters every single game. I mean, he just literally kicks ass. He beats the crap out of whoever's in front of him all game long. He doesn't get cheated. He's physical. He's athletic, especially for his size. You know, I mean, he's got an interesting frame, but at the end of the day, I think he's listed at like 6'5", 320. I think he'll probably be pretty close to that when he's measured. And his blend of power athletic traits, instincts for the football, all of those things. He's just one of those top of the first round dynamic talents. What's interesting to me about him, though, is his frame. When I look at like the one thing that I kind of have a concern with with Derek Brown, it's like he plays a lot of reps very close to the vest. He doesn't really play with a whole lot of extension. And I think it's his frame, Kyle. Like, I'm not sure that he has like short Big arms. Barrel chest. He's got this. It's 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 the combination of like a barrel chest, but it's like, it's wide and it's like deep, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't know that his arm length is going to be an indicator of what type of 
functional length he he has to use. I don't think I've ever used that phrase in my life, but it kind of makes sense for Derek Brown because I mean he's he's powerful enough to kind of bench press dudes off of him, you know, at will. But you know those separation skills, and I think that speaks to maybe his modest production. I'm not going to say like averaging double digit tackles for loss over the last three years is like bad production, but maybe it's not like crazy Quinn and Williams, Aaron Donald type, you know. Well, sure, but he's also not that kind of player as far as his strengths and weaknesses. He wins off of contact. This is an interesting conversation points to, to, to pivot off of here, Joe. We, we thought this year's defensive tackle class was spectacular, right? You, yeah. you think about Quinn and Williams and Christian Wilkins and Ed Oliver and these guys come in, and it seemed like everybody kind of turned it on in the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. But by and large... These were guys, those top three guys that were top 15 picks were drafted based off production in the backfield and really being able to uh, create havoc at the mesh point, rerouting running backs and, and being a pass rusher. And that transition proved to be difficult for these guys. Whereas I think a guy like Derek Brown, he wins through contact. Yeah, that's a good he point. Doesn't re- he doesn't rely on playing and shooting gaps and winning in space and first quickness. And he's a raw power player, but he's so explosive that like he, he beats you going mano a mano. He doesn't beat you shooting gaps. And I think about Derek Brown and his projection. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I feel so comfortable about him being a plug and play, like impact starter on a team right away. That's that's interesting. The curve right there, because I, I, you and I lived it with Oliver and Wilkins, and of course, I've seen the discussion with Jerry Tillery. I've been a big part of the discussion with Quinn and Williams, so I, I know kind of what this is about. And I and I actually that when that discussion was going on around week five, week six, where people are like quoting tackle stats as indicators of how well these young defensive tackles are playing, I went back and I looked at guys like Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox and Geno Atkins and. Uh, Gerald McCoy. And like, if you look at all of those guys, their first eight games in the league were like super modest, like a couple tackles a game, maybe a half a sack or a sack. And then, and then you're right. It's like those reps start to really matter. They learn how to clear contact and they start becoming more impactful in terms of making plays where they finish. And that's a good point where Derek Brown, I think is, is definitely more ready to achieve what we saw you know, second half of the season from those promising young defensive tackles earlier in his career. And um, that's a man, that's a that's a really good talking point. And I'll be interested to see if that winds up being the case. Yeah, I'm a bit interested in that case study as well. But, you know, Derek, I feel comfortable about Derek playing even fronts mm-hmm. as as a one tech or a three tech. I feel comfortable with him playing in odd fronts as a five tech. I'm not playing him in as a nose. I, I think he's got too many disruptive qualities to ask him to play on the nose. And I think you feel like you really take away some of his ability to make big plays and disruptive plays in the backfield. If you're going to ask him to play in the a gap and invite so many double team scenarios for him, but uh, he can do that too. And, you know, even a, a base strong side defensive end, uh, for four, three under teams and stuff like that. Like there's Derek Brown is going to be a universal prospect given how well I feel like he projects into a number of different roles. And I think players like that, it's really easy to see them get prioritized earlier in the draft because they have that translatability to survive 
defensive coordinator changes or head coaching changes that result in philosophy changes for your team. There's nobody that you're going to bring in and coach your team that they're not going to look at Derek Brown and say, he's going to be one of the best three starters on my team at X position. Did you settle on a comp for Derek Brown? I know we both kind of wrestled with it. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. I have one down, but I don't like it. And you knew that. I told you that the second I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I spent, I spent probably six hours after, because we talked about this, like what, like a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. I spent like six hours thinking about like early 2000s defensive tackles to be like, there's got to be a guy. <laughs> there's got to be a guy, and I don't have one. So I, I do not have a comp that I really like for Derek Brown yet. No, but uh, right now I can say I've given him a top 10 overall film grade uh, based off of the film, and I've done the full write-up for him. And at this point for Derek Brown, it's just a matter of of working through the pre-draft process and that's why you can't blame it for electing to not participate in the senior bowl because he's he's got so much working for him at this point already. Yeah, and you don't question that dude's competitive toughness. Let me ask you this. And you and I are aligned on Derek Brown. I don't think we have a whole lot of concerns. We think he's going to be a big-time impact player. He's one of those guys that you think, man, anybody that watches his tape is going to come away impressed by who he is and what you think he can be at the next level. What are those inevitable concerns that people nitpick and find when they are thinking about Derek Brown? What are some of these narratives that are just going to come up? Can you think of anything? Um, I could say one thing that stood out to me is if you're going to put him in that stratosphere of like elite potential elite defensive tackles, you're going to look at how he corners and changes directions like in the backfield. And he, he's not like the most fleet of foot or nimble to mirror guys because he's 320. So like naturally guys that size aren't going to be able to do that. Um, so I think I think in head up scenarios with backs and, and mobile quarterbacks, he may miss some finishes in the backfield. And that's evidenced by, you know, his mm-hmm. career high in sacks is four and a half. And he's had a really nice trend with his tackles for loss the last three years. He's gone nine and a half, 10 and a half, 11 and a half. But still, those aren't like earth shattering numbers. So if you're going to look at the box score, you may try and knock Derek Brown for not being a finisher, but his presence extends so far beyond that, that if you look for the context, it's there, right? Like, like in, in how good and how disruptive he really is. So th- those would kind of be the the points I would expect people to, to point to is uh, finishing ability due to uh, short area agility. Uh, in lateral situations especially, and lack of production as a pass rusher. Hey, they can't all be Fletcher Cox and Chris Chris Jones in that department, man. You know, Right. Well, (laughs) you know, he's a different kind of unicorn, but he's still a unicorn as far as I'm concerned. I think that's a a good phrase to to close out our discussion on Derek Brown. If you don't like Derek Brown, then we can't be friends. Correct. (laughs) Get out. Get out. All right. LaVisca. Chenault, wide receiver, Colorado. He's listed at 6'2", 220 pounds. The first thing that comes to your mind when I say the words LaVisca Chenault. Explosive. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's what I think I love so much about Chenault. And obviously, I'm pretty locked in on receivers because I think there's a chance the Bills are going to take one. And I really like what LaVisca Chenault brings to the table in terms of being a three-level threat but versatile in so many different ways. You know, if you're looking for that guy that 
you can get involved on some jet motion and sweeps and uh, give them touches in space and uh, give them shuffle passes, all that type of stuff, but also throw the ball vertically to him and ask him to work the middle middle of the field and uncover quickly in quick game. I just feel like you get everything from Chenault. And no, the Colorado offense doesn't do him a lot of favors in terms of showing off you know, a really nuanced route running skill set in terms of of being a a you know just a, uh, a a wide receiver. What I've kind of appreciated about the way that Colorado has used him is that I could be creative in what I can ask him to do at the next level because he's already done a lot of that space stuff that I think complements my belief that he can be a really good all around wide receiver. Love him after the catch. He's an alpha. You know, you you see him the way he attacks the football and the way he competes after the catch, the way he blocks. I mean, I just kind of feel like this is that very versatile X receiver that can do a whole lot for an offense. Yeah, I think LaVisca is going to be a tough study for some folks because the offense, as you said, didn't do him any favors. And and more specifically, uh, if if you don't have the opportunities to see the full field when you watch him play, yeah. you're going to miss a lot of his wins. Because he didn't get targeted a lot on plays that he was like really open. <laughs> Can we talk about Steven Montez? Holy hell, uh, man. No, we want to talk about LaVisca <laughs> should But that's ball. what's so frustrating about his his watch is that not only are there missed opportunities to get in the ball, it's that Steven Montez rarely throws anything on schedule. Yeah, so everything's late and he, he made LaVisca work a lot for oh, a lot God. of his catches. Yeah. Now the the good news with that is you know you're going to have a receiver that has a dynamic catch radius and good body control and ability to elevate and play above the rim and and, and come back to the football <laughs> and it tested his hands, right? Yeah. No, I'm being no, serious. It's, you're right. It's funny, but it's you're exactly right. The the production that he put out over two years, you know, he played as a freshman, but he only had seven catches. You know, the last two years he's had 142 catches and uh over eighteen hundred yards. Um it that kind of production in such unideal scenarios, I think speaks really well to what he can be. And the fact that he was as dynamic as we saw him be after the catch, despite consistently having to come back across his frame to catch a ball on his back hip that should have been out in front of him, or you know what I mean? Like the, those kinds of plays for LaVisca, I think you get the peaks. Uh, I think it's Matt Wallman uses the the phrase peeking through keyholes. Right. And it's like every once in a while you're looking through and you're like, that's a a number one NFL wide receiver. And it's on those rare instances in which everything clicks and he gets the ball on time or the ball's placed well for him to high point on, on vertical throws. And you're like, yes. So you just I think you have to be able to draw that line and and not knock him for people are going to say, well, you know, he had 13 yards per catch last year. He's not super dynamic. Uh, Yes, he is. If you want to get me nervous about LaVisca Chenault, you'll talk to me about the 2019 surgeries that he had, uh, one to repair a torn labrum, the other for turf toe, and he's kind of had some foot problems. And I hate that with receivers because we've seen it. We've seen a lot of guys overcome it, but we've seen it really impact a lot of these players. And I just feel like he's kind of been banged up a lot. You're the scientist. What what do you think about that? Well, obviously the, the medical history is concerning. Um, I was interested to, to kind of look at potentially, uh, comparisons 
for LaVisca. And I know Sammy Watkins has been the popular I one. I still like it. I like it too. But then you consider. It's Clemson. Well, it's, it's Clemson Sammy Watkins though. That's the Sammy Watkins. And I know that's you know, weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but LaVisca's also got like 12 extra pounds on what Sammy Watkins did coming out. Yeah. And if he's 6'2", he'll have a, a – well, I think Sammy was just a tick over uh, 6'1". He, six, he was 6'1", 210. Yeah. All right. So we'll see if he's an inch taller and 10, 15 pounds more. He could be. What do you What do you remember about Sammy's uh, testing? Uh, he, I think he ran 4'4", four, four, low 4'4s, four, right? He ran 4'4", four, four, 3, okay. which was 76th percentile. What do you think his vert was? It was bad. I think it was like 31 inches. 34 inches, okay, 34. which is the 33rd percentile. That's not good. How about a standing broad? Oh, uh, I guess it's right around 10 feet. 10, 6. Yeah. 83rd percentile. How about his three cone? What do you, how, I'll, I'll say this. Do you think, what percentile do you think both his shuttle drills were? Above what? Uh, shuttles? I guess they got to be around average 50 percentile. So the three cone was 47th percentile and his 20 yard shuttle was 21st percentile. Okay. So don't, don't do shuttle drills. It's not worth it. Right. (laughs) Let's be honest. After what happened to DK Metcalf, if I'm, if I'm a wide receiver, I'm not running a three cone. No, not unless you're going to run like mid sixes on the three cone or something like that. You know what I mean? Like Like there's no reason. uh, And like, leave the mystery. How many guys out there are six three plus that ran four five flat or better and didn't run a three cone and nobody cares? Like nobody talked about well, you know, his his ability to top of like Mike Evans didn't run a three cone. Right. AJ Brown but didn't Mike, right. So never run a three cone is Don't the moral it. of the story here. Unless and you're like, gonna run a crazy good time and you'll know. You've been practicing it for months. Right. Leave the mystery. Saquon Barkley, no three cone. Don't blame you, brother. There's no need. There's never any need. Um, LaVisca, you know, we talked about Derek Brown being a top of the draft kind of guy. Yeah. LaVisca feels like I have a hard time seeing a ceiling any higher than like 20. I'd be interested if you feel like there's any teams inside the top 20 that you're like, yeah, I can get excited about LaVisca going there. I um I talked with Mark Schofield about this. He had me on. He does he does a lot of different podcasts, but he has a, a Patriots podcast. And we talked and uh, we got into a little bit of draft discussion. And he's like, he asked me about LaVisca Chanel because he wants them for the Patriots. And I'm and I get there into that 20 range and I see Philadelphia at 21, the Bills at 23. I see uh New England at 27, Green Bay at 28. Even the Saints at 30. Even Baltimore 32. Like there's so much, right. there's so many teams like in that 20 to 32 range that it makes perfect sense. And I'm like, yeah, any one of those teams would love to have them. And it makes me think, well, what, should we talk about them for Indy at 13? The, the Raiders at 12? Uh, you know, I feel like he's. Well, and those are those those are teams that are, are most definitely in the wide receiver market yeah. along with. Uh, the, the Denver Broncos mm-hmm. seem to have a need for another dynamic wide receiver. I just don't know because it's hard to find slots to put Judy and Lamb inside the top seven spots or so. So we, then yeah. it's like, okay, now you're going to have those guys that dip a little bit. Would somebody take LaVisca over a Jerry Judy or a CD Lamb? 
what's what makes that really hard is like you look at a team like Arizona, they can use a wide receiver and an offensive tackle. How, how do you not take the offensive tackle with the depth of this wide receiver class? But it's also a deep offensive tackle class. Same thing with the Jets. Right. Um, Raiders, Colts, those are both more needs along the, you know, a receiver more so than tackle. But, you know, the the Colts have, a you know, they have plenty of cap space, but Anthony Costanzo is a free agent. Um, Denver, are they ready to move on from Bowles? Do they want to go receiver to add another weapon for Drew Locke? Uh, you know, I mean, even Vegas and Jacksonville picks again, 19 and 20. So it's, I just feel like there's so many landing spots and I can see, I mean, I wouldn't blink an eye if you went in the top 15, but then I see so much opportunity later in the first round. I think about the depth of the wide receiver class and figuring out exactly where LaVisca is going to go is difficult, but I think it's going to be among the first 32. Yeah. I think that's, I think if you wanted to be conservative, top 30 and if you wanted to get aggressive then you could say you know maybe he's in the top 15 of the top top 15 i think would be the aggressive i wouldn't want to say top 10 all right so do let's go ceiling and floor based on our january 22nd conversation what we know right now the ceiling and floor what do you think for both or just lavis oh that's fun uh let's do chanel and then kick back to brown okay and then we'll wrap it up yeah um LaVisca, the ceiling is Oakland at 12. No chance for Jacksonville at nine or Arizona at eight. No, because I think that's if if you're going to get there, you know, I like LaVisca, but you got more polished guys in CD and, okay. and Jerry. I'm with you. I, all right. So that, I agree there. I'm with you. And the floor. Let's go 30. No. <clears throat> Saints at 30. Uh, no, the the Colts early second round pick. Okay, I like that. It's thirty four right now, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. So what a strike zone. 12, Twelve <laughs> to thirty four. I mean, twenty picks. He's got a realistic yeah. chance to get picked like ten times over in those twenty picks. Yeah, but the 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 um the financial repercussions of that for him, you know? Oh yeah, it's <laughs> that's yeah, that'd be a little unsettling. Yeah, <laughs> millions right, of so dollars, it. man. Go ahead and give it to me for Derek Brown now. I think Derek Brown's ceiling is three to Detroit. I man, I kind of want to say his floor. I sort of think Carolina at seven, but I'll kick that out to Jacksonville at nine. Oh man, I'd be pissed if Carolina passed on him. Well, it's all to me. It's all about whether or not they're going to go the quarterback route. If they're going to not go quarterback, then yeah, Derek Brown would be should not get past Carolina. Should well, not brother, have. I got bad news for you. Give it to me. If Carolina wants to go quarterback, I don't see how any way that they're getting Joe Burrow or they would be getting Tua Tunga Viola if he declared. So you're going to pass on Derek Brown for Justin Herbert at seven? What about Jordan Love? At seven? Hear me out. I'm going to leave you with a crazy thought that I thought about wow. this morning while I was drinking coffee. God, okay. Crazy thought. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me clear my throat for this. Hear me out. Dave Tepper. I'm, I'm hearing you. Dave I'm Tepper, you. owner owner of the Carolina Panthers. He He's really talked about being progressive and forward thinking with his football team. He's going to want to replicate the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion. Okay. Look at what they have. Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, kind of got some of these pieces that 
eh, maybe some of the ingredients that exist for, for uh, Baltimore. They got Greg Olson. I don't know that he'll be back, but they still have Ian Thomas, who's shown some promise. I hope they hire Greg Roman for head coach. So then. Greg Roman, Jordan Love, and Dave Tepper says, all right, we're going to try to do the Baltimore thing in Carolina. Jordan is athletic. He's nowhere near Lamar. Athletic. No, nobody's Lamar, and that's going to be a mistake. It's, Kyle, people are going to make that mistake for the next two or three years, okay? This is how Pat White gets drafted in the second round. There's no doubt about it, and I'm not saying I agree with what I just said in terms of that's what they should do. Come on now. You don't think there's a chance. It's a fun speculation, and that's all we're doing at this point. We're speculating, having fun. All right. But if this is correct, then this soundbite will be played for years to come. Yeah, if if this is correct, I expect you to be as insufferable as I am from time to time when I get takes right. I think I think you are more insufferable about the five and eleven Miami Dolphins and the success they've had over the Patriots than anything I've ever been. And I and Did I'm enjoying the, it. I'm enjoying it. Did you know the Dolphins are have a winning record against the Patriots in the last three games? And that yes, and that makes me happy. Is Did odd you know that the Miami Dolphins have a winning record against the New England Patriots in their last five games? It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. You're right. I'm getting ready to weep here now. It's it's going to be, Kyle, it's going to be a little weird because I'm like a little on your side. I'm enjoying talking through this with you. There's, I just want you to know there's going to come a day where it's, I'm off the wagon. It's you gonna know? turn. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to turn. Yeah. So enjoy it's it like, while you can. <laughs> <laughs> you should enjoy me being on the wagon this week because I'm pulling for the Bills this week against yeah. the Texans because I We're, need that first-round pick to be one of the first four of the playoff teams. And then if Buffalo wins, I am out so freaking fast. You, you, you <laughs> It will make your head spin how fast I am See, out on the Buffalo Bills. You've done that all year to me, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, when it's convenient. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I've just kind of – to me, the Dolphins are a little harmless right now. And I mean, I've enjoyed kind of like seeing – seeing them outperform and seeing some good coaching and, and, and being into, obviously I love roster construction and what they can do there. So it's been really fun to kind of think about it and speculate, but if they start getting shit right, man, I'm out, you know? Okay. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. We actually have, who, who was it that asked us if we're actually friends this morning? Uh, is, is, is Luke, Luke? Yeah. Luke, Luke Donaldson. It, Cause he yeah. had a reaction. Cause what we were going nuts over the, uh, uh, yeah, you wrote critiquing my mock draft today for the draft now. Yeah. And we had the, um, the exchange over like the dolphins firing Chad O'Shea and Luke was like, are you guys going to be okay? <laughs> it's like, well, we, we actually kind of low key hate each other because we're dolphins and bills fans, but yeah, other than that, we're fine. Yeah, we're so. good. We're good. All right, guys, come on back tomorrow. We're going to preview uh wild card round. Yeah. And Joe's brought it to my attention that the AFC games are on Saturday. They're yeah, They're both on Saturday. You don't even know That's this. Huge. Is that what it's like? Not being in the playoffs, he's just like, I know they're this weekend. I guess I'll watch them. Brother. Because <laughs> I can't relate. Brother. <laughs> How old were you when Buffalo last won a playoff game? It's 95, man. How old were you? I was born in 86. I don't know, nine years old? <laughs> Ten? Okay. Something like that? I'm not okay. a math guy. Okay, Let, let's not get super snooty about being in the playoffs. Hey, listen. Two of the last three years, brother. Life is good for me right now. Yeah, well, all right. That's good. Enjoy it. See, there it is. Hopefully, there hopefully it is. get get in the club dub. Uh, that's it. We're done. We're we're off the rails here. So thanks for listening to Draft Dudes. Tomorrow we are going to preview the wild card round, talk about the matchups, potential rookies that can impact the landscape of the postseason. Lots of good talking points ahead. So come on back. See us again tomorrow. Thanks, as always, for listening.
the DraftDudes Podcast.